This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good morning. It's Thursday, February 20th, and you are listening to the College Football Daily, a 24-7 sports podcast dedicated to catching you up on and breaking down the day's college football news. My name is Connor Tapp. I'm joined by Trey Scott. Trey, some pretty big news came through the wire on Tuesday. We're a day behind in talking about it on the show because the NCAA very inconsiderately made this announcement on a day we'd already set aside to talk with Barton Simmons about the 2021 rankings overhaul. So go listen to yesterday's episode if you missed that. But Trey, let's talk about this big NCAA news. Yeah, so the NCAA has been in the lab and they've cooked up a working group concept to explore the total elimination or the total change of the transfer process as we know it which would allow, without exception or with a few exceptions, one-time transfers without having to sit out for four-year athletes. And the the working group concept per quote would change waiver criteria to allow approvals for first-time four-year transfers in all sports to complete immediately, so no more sitting out, as long as they receive a transfer release from the previous school, leave their previous school academically eligible, and leave under no disciplinary suspension. So the waiver criteria, it's the same as the legislative exception already allowed for student-athletes who compete in any sport other than baseball, football, basketball, women's basketball, or men's ice hockey. And like we're going to dive into this. This is potentially massive. This is a little bit different than what the conferences that have already voiced support for transfer exceptions, such as the Big Ten and ACC, have said. But this is this could change college football as we know it. Yeah, so the the question now is, okay, so this is an idea that the working group has thrown out there. What happens now? And so the way we get from the idea stage to it actually being a rule is that now what the working group will do is it'll seek uh, feedback from the various stakeholders at Division One member institutions, you know, your coaches, your ADs, your uh, student-athlete leaders, all that stuff. Um, and then... the uh, at the Division I Council's April meeting, uh, they will uh, kind of make a decision on it there, and they will have a, a statement from the NCAA on Tuesday says that the working group's goal is to have the new criteria approved by the Division I Council and then take place uh, and be enacted for the 2020 to 2021 academic year. So, you know, got uh, players who, uh, uh, you know, decide in the middle of the season that at the 2020 season that they want to redshirt and transfer, like they, they would fall within this bucket if, if everything proceeds as planned. Uh, also in the release was, I thought, an interesting comment from a, a working group chair, John Steinbrecher, uh, that kind of touched on a, an an aspect of this that we've talked about a good bit on on the show. He said that um, 
the reduction in barriers to transferring, aka the introduction of the transfer portal, and going back, you know, even a decade, the the introduction of the grad transfer rule, that the increased ease of transferring has really put a strain on the waiver process, which was really originally designed to handle extenuating and extraordinary circumstances. And so now where you've got a bunch of people transferring, a bunch of people putting in waivers, and we've complained, (laughs) it feels like since time immemorial, about the inconsistency in some of those transfer waiver decisions, and you just wondered if the in, the increase in transfers, overall transfers, was putting a strain on the NCAA's bureaucracy. And now we're we're getting a, a comment from the working group chair that kind of that kind of confirms that. So I I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, so everything seems like it's moving in a good direction toward kind of reducing some of the barriers to uh, to players transferring or at least not having to to sit out a year. But it's not to paint a picture that everybody is rowing in the same direction. Everybody's on board, thinks this is a good idea. And I think, you know, some of the opposition to this idea is kind of embodied by a a viral tweet from Mark Richt reacting to this news. Uh, He said, I know, I have an idea. You recruit and develop players, and when I think they're good enough, I will poach them from your roster. Welcome to what the new normal will look like in college football. I don't I don't nec- I, I don't know. I mean, we are enter- anytime you change the rules, you don't entirely know what the unintended unintended consequences might be. But uh, Mark Richt is at least expressing a coach's concern that hey, um, holding on to the players that you've worked very hard to develop is going to be like a big thing that you've got to allocate resources to as a head coach now. Well, I guess it already happens. It. Jamie Newman leaves Wake Forest and goes to Georgia. Derek King leaves Houston and goes to Miami. Of course, that happens because those kids are graduate transfers. It's already happening in college basketball. Every year, high majors are mining mid-majors for players. So, yeah, I think the big question here is what happens to the group of five schools or the the lower-level power five schools? This is probably, in some ways, the rich are going to get even richer in college football. So that's tough for them. Uh, but you would imagine they can find ways to fill their roster. And I think if you're a college football coach, it makes sense that you would not like this at all, right? Like you're putting in three to four years sometimes and a lot of money and a lot of resources and time to recruit players and you could lose them immediately. But the reality is like you could already all lose them immediately anyway with the transfer portal. I think the concern I have about this whole thing is kind of based on the fact that Mark Richt, an old school football coach, was upset about it is that one of the stipulations here is that the players have to receive a transfer release from their previous school. Like you don't have to do that right now to enter the NCAA transfer portal. That portal in October of 2018 was enacted so that players did not have to receive permission from their coaches to transfer. And they did not have to sort of vet or run through any, any possible landing spots with those coaches. They were just allowed to now they're allowed to go where they want. So are we removing the, freedom of that because I thought that was the most important part of the transfer portal. And that's, I think that's the NCAA sort of like, I wonder if they're trying to sneak that by anybody or or thinking that, you know, them voicing their support for a a free for all transfer process. And then, and then saying, but they still need to get a release if no one would notice that because what the big 10 and the ACC want Connor is 
is they want you to be able to transfer one time and not have to sit out a year if you want to. And they want the rules to stay the same. They want the transfer portal to still be a thing. They don't want you to have to seek permission from your coaches. So it looks like the NCAA is kind of like covering that up a little bit. Yeah, and I mean, maybe it's an instance of kind of a compromise being struck because as this uh, idea from the working group now goes back to the schools for feedback, I imagine a lot of coaches are going to be voicing the complaint that Mark Richt voiced and maybe a way to kind of satisfy those coaches is to give them a measure of control over the process so that they don't feel like, man, I've got 85 players. I have to be worried about transferring at all times. Uh, who knows? I, I, I wonder like, like how, like what will the optics of using the ability to deny the release? Like how will, how will that go over? Will it, will it, you know, in, I, I wonder if in these cases where basically the school the player is leaving from is not contesting the their you know ability to transfer their decision to transfer and and they just want to say you know yeah sure let them do it if this just kind of eliminates those situations where like the previous school was supporting the transfer they had a pretty good reason but the NCAA just denied it and it seems just cold and heartless and counterfactual maybe maybe it ultimately ends up kind of more addressing those situations well the optics used to be pretty bad and it even in the last few years before the transfer portal you'd have holdover coaches give us a kid a list of like 13 schools he wasn't allowed to transfer to and usually they would relent thanks to tremendous social media pressure so maybe that'll play a part again it's yeah, you're right. Like so, we have two Power Five conferences who have flat out said they support a one-time transfer exception or a one-time transfer opportunity. And I guess thinking about it, we don't know if they want baked in there this transfer release policy. But if you go to the if you go to the coaches, they're going to say, "I don't want this." It's it's interesting, but it's also like college football's best teams and its most powerful voices and its most powerful conferences have used a freedom of transfer market to make their team so much better in the last few seasons, right? Mm -hmm. Like Ohio state, um, Georgia just landed Jamie Newman, Oklahoma, Jalen hurts. And I know, I know, you know, with the exception of Justin Fields, those guys are graduate transfers, but still the whole idea that you can transfer is really different than it was five years ago. So hopefully when, when fists start pounding the table, everyone remembers that for the most part, they'll probably be better off um, allowing a freedom of transfers. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. It, this is all happening so fast because the ACC chimed in on on Monday or Tuesday, Monday, and then the NCAA the next day has that. Yeah, I mean, if, you, if you're Alabama, the, the kind of players you're at risk of losing are like depth options. But if you're like Buffalo, you're like losing your <laughs> once in a generation, how did we luck into getting this guy player yeah, you're losing Khalil Mack. You're losing Khalil Mack. So that's going to be, that's probably the biggest ripple effect going forward. Going to move on to some really exciting news, 2021 news, if you can wait that long. Uh, Clemson and Georgia announced Wednesday that they're going to open the 2021 season with, a, season with a neutral site game in Charlotte. And if you weren't paying attention, like this wasn't a game that was on the schedule. They're longtime rivals and they do have uh, scheduled upcoming games this decade and they have a home and home series in the 2030s decade but 
But this one, the, like one year away, this was totally out of nowhere. And it's really big news for Clemson. And I was looking at Clemson's non-conference schedule for 2021 the other week. And, and I was like, okay, they have South Carolina, of course. The rest of their non-conference slate, Wyoming, Yukon, which is trash, and FCS, South Carolina State. That's horrible. Like that's a Clemson fan would be like, that's that's bad. That's really bad. So if you thought the Clemson narrative about their schedule this year was bad, wait till 2021 without Georgia. And for the team, like lose a game, you don't have a shot at the playoff. Go undefeated and someone else is, is better. You might not either with that schedule. So big win for Clemson. And then for Georgia and Clemson as a whole and college football as a whole, this is going to be an interesting chapter for both teams this 2021 season. We were talking about Jamie Newman for Georgia. They used him from Wake Forest to delay any painful post-Jake Fromm growing pains, but he's only got one year. So after him, Kirby Smart totally has to reset the clock to, to zero, and maybe that's true freshman Brock Vandegrift getting a start in his first college football game on primetime television against Clemson. And for Clemson, this is going to be the first game in the post-Trevor Lawrence era, so maybe that's five-star quarterback prospect DJ Uyangalale, who who signed with the Tigers a few months ago. So I kind of can't wait. I know that you know we've got a lot of great games until then, but this could be a really good one. And given how both teams have recruited, this should be two top three or top four teams. Yeah, we get a lot of, this time of year, we get a lot of news about games in the future being scheduled, but, uh, and we, and you and I have discussions about whether or not we want to talk about them on, on the show. And a lot of times the answer is no, but this one is just uh, absolutely massive. I'm, I'm really excited and looking forward to it. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And on the other side, we've got an update on Zach Smith, Charlie Strong, and LSU. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the College Football Daily. On Tuesday, former Ohio State wide receivers coach Zach Smith published an episode of his podcast having called into his having called into his producer from a payphone in Delaware County Jail where he's serving a 20-day sentence for violating in May of 2019 a civil protection order filed by his ex-wife. Smith opens the episode by saying, "Quote, I wanted to really think about how to handle this. I thought about, all right, I got to just learn from this, serve my time, figure out how to address this, and I'll deal with it when I get out. The reality is that that would be completely opposite of what I am and who I am and what I believe in, end quote. And all I could think about when I was listening to Smith say that was how we spent so much of summer of 2018 hearing from a subset, a small but very vocal subset of the Ohio State fan base who decided that they just really wanted to go to the mat for Zach Smith's honor. Cut to two years later, and he's in jail for doing exactly the kind of thing he vehemently denied doing, and he's on a payphone calling into his Patreon subscribers to let them know that learning his lesson would be the complete opposite of what he is and what he believes in. A total lunatic. I cannot believe that two years ago he was coaching college kids. Uh, Charlie Strong 
is the latest to enter the Nick Saban Coach Rehabilitation Clinic. That's right, the former Louisville, Texas, and USF coach who was fired by the Bulls a few months ago has joined the Alabama staff as a defensive analyst. He had been tied to an analyst role back at Florida where, as defensive coordinator, he won two national titles under Urban Meyer. But Charlie chose the Tide where he's going to have some company among former head coaches now on staff as assistants or staffers. And that list includes offensive coordinator Steve Sarkeesian, O-line coach Kyle Flood, offensive analyst Butch Jones, defensive analyst Mike Stoops, and offensive analyst Major Applewhite. So uh, speaking of Sark and the Tide, by the way, and hoping there's no news that breaks on this too too late to the point where you're listening this Thursday morning and it's old, but speaking of Sark and the Tide, 24-7 Sports' BuffStampede.com and Bama Online report that Sarkeesian was expected to have interviewed Wednesday for the head coaching vacancy at Colorado. They're trying to replace Mel Tucker. Brett Bielema and Air Force's Troy Calhoun are also reportedly in the mix here. Sarkeesian could be a two-time graduate of the uh, Nick Saban Rehabilitation Clinic. It's a, man, I I know that that storyline gets talked about a lot, but man, I just really hope at some point one of these coaches going through that just like really gives someone in the media, you know, hey, maybe somebody that works at 24-7 Sports, just like a lot of access to... <laughs> what that's like, like they, go sh- they what they should do is like invite them because they're making like thirty five thousand a year like go live in their crummy apartment with them and just like kind of see what it's like coming home every day having worked for nick saban not that they're actually in bad apartments these guys are multi-millionaires and it's interesting you say two-time graduate of the saban coaching rehab sarkeesian this could be his third pac-12 school he's been a head coach of. <laughs> i wonder if that's ever been seriously i wonder if that's ever been done oh man that's a good one uh i'll have to look that up uh So last story today is that LSU is reportedly set to play its spring game on the campus of Southern University and HBCU that is also located in Baton Rouge. Uh, This is while Tiger Stadium is undergoing a renovation. And Trey, you know, I I was thinking that LSU might have accidentally stumbled upon a way to restore some energy to spring games. I I know people decry the notion of neutral site college football games, but I feel like the spring game format has gotten a little stale. It feels like in the, in the early to mid two thousands, like the the spot college football fandom was at was like there was a very sudden uptick in interest in spring games, and I feel like that interest has dipped as we've kind of collectively realized that they're kind of boring and not much happens in, in them. But maybe if you've got like, uh, uh, if you've got a situation like LSU has where they've got another school nearby, like maybe having a neutral site spring game at that, at, at, at a place like Southern or, or wherever it is, like maybe that's a way to engage the community in a little bit different way. Maybe if you're Clemson, you go up the road to, Charlotte and have it there. I don't know. I, I just, I, I'm, I'm into the idea of mixing up the spring game. And I know that this was not LSU's, this was a, a practical thing out of the, their stadium not being ready, but maybe they've kind of stumbled into something here. I like that idea. I, you've seen college football and college basketball teams in building new arenas. Some of them have downsized to give a more intimate vibe. I think this could have kind of had the same effect and spark a different energy of fan and Texas Tech has like done two spring games in 
like Dallas and a different, you know, part of West Texas too. The one thing the college coaches would say is they use that weekend as a big official mm. visit weekend. So if you could keep it in town and maybe have like, if you have a, a secondary stadium option or something like that, uh, like a, a Southern university, maybe you can still mix in a facilities tour too. All right. Well, that's going to do it for today's episode of the College Football Daily. If you appreciate what we're doing, please express your support by leaving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. For Trey Scott and our producer, Tony Levitt, I'm Connor Tapp, and we'll see you on Friday when we'll be talking to Chris Hummer and playing clips from his interview with Arizona State head coach Herm Edwards. Herm Edwards.